Hey guys, welcome to the show today. My name is Cam Lancaster, the host of the Lancaster Golf Performance Podcast. So today I sat down with Nick Starchuk. Nick is the Director of Instruction at a TPC Toronto. I was really excited to sit down with him and just really talk about some of the learnings he's had from a lifetime pursuing golf as a coach and also as a player of the game. Some of the things that we talked about that you'll find very interesting, you know, what what are some of the things that great ball strikers do across the board? So we talked about that. We talked about his high-level clients and what you can learn from them. We also spoke about what are some of the things that he does as a coach and you know what separates him from other coaches in the industry. So I found it very fascinating just from my own learning, but then I think you're also going to get a lot of value out of this just for your own game. And if you're a coach, definitely you'll get a lot of value about you know, Nick's style and, and you know how he approaches the game. So without further ado, here's Nick and enjoy the show. <laughs> uh, so just to, to kind of start off, Nick, uh, how, tell me about like your initial story and how you got into coaching. Um, well, I was... Uh... I would say that I took kind of a, a different approach that, you know, most the coaches that I know have taken. Um, I was a player first. Uh, I played NCAA golf, uh, won, uh, won some events down there, uh, played Canadian tour, and then started to look at uh, coaching and teaching. And, um, you know, the PGA of Canada has made it really easy for someone to play into the PGA and mm-hmm. become what they consider, you know, a coach of developing athletes, you know, you can do that in like three years. Um, but I think that the, the, the guys that have taken it from a playing perspective uh, and then moved toward coaching have a, just a drastically different insight on what it is that, that has to get done when you're trying to improve a player's game. So you know, I took, I took the approach of playing golf and then teaching golf, um, and stayed away from, you know, club operations the best that I could. Yeah. Good for you. I think that's really the way to go. And that's, you know, the main reason I wanted to sit down with you because you're, you're kind of a coach that I, I, you know, I, I can agree with in that standpoint. I think to really understand the game, you need to go through it yourself to be able to share kind of, you know, what actually works on the course. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that, you know, understanding like NCAA is just a totally different animal for everybody else. Unless you spend some time traveling the mini tours throughout North America, you know, NCAA golf gave you the chance to, you know, figure out where you are at the end of a tournament, work on it and then get in a van and go do it again in another city, you know, staying in hotels and playing a course you've never played before. So the insight to, you know, call it junior tour golf is massive for the understanding of of developing a game um you know i know a lot of really great coaches who are also great players now um, Mm -hmm. but they've developed their game while being a coach which i think is you know that's a totally different animal but um you know being able to play i mean i think a lot like most of us have played competitive junior golf and depending on how old you were kind of shows how much there was like we didn't have a whole lot of stuff to play, but once you got into NCAA golf, that was like, you know, PGA tour junior, you had to learn how to figure out your game on the fly. You had to be yeah. your own coach. Cause the golf coaches down there aren't swing instructors. They're like, you better play better next time. You're not coming to the next tournament. See ya. Yeah. Um, they're, they're about keeping their job and keeping, uh, you know, keeping, keeping the, the van full the of gas. Yeah. Exactly. You know? So like it you really have to figure out what works and what doesn't you get a chance to you know look at your own game but you also get to look at four other guys trying to do the same thing that you do so 
you know, if, if you've got one go-getter on the team that feels as though they need to practice nip balls every day, that kind of sets the temperature for the whole team. So you start mm. to see how other people are doing this stuff. And um, so I think that, you know, the, the, the old question, do you have to be a great player to be a great teacher? I totally believe that you do because, you know, not everybody is, you know, Claude Harmon that gets to grow up working their dad and uncle's golf school, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, Claude will tell you right up front that he's never really played golf, never played competitive golf, never played college golf, but you know, he was involved in the best golf schools in the world for 20 years. So totally different pedigree. But other than that, like, I don't know anybody that's a great teacher that hasn't played great golf. So, you know, I, I came from the being able to do it first and then learning what it is that I figured out second. So, you know, book smarts came second. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's an approach that I really admire. And uh, it's something that where, you know, I played competitive junior golf, but now getting back into coaching, my main priority is to play great golf and then share that that insight with with um, with the students, because I think that you can get caught in this trap as a, a range pro and stand there all day and then and give give what might work on, you know, based upon camera, based upon a few stats on the track man or a quad and there's a whole other, you know, playing side to it, what actually goes on on the course. Right. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, I guess this might be a bit of a general question because, you know, every student is different, uh, but even going through your own game at the NCAA level and, and students, you might coach in the NCAA, what are some of the things that you really are, are really important to you when you're working with someone who's at that level? Honest communication. I mean, mm-hmm. it like, the last thing I want is to have someone just keep saying, yes, yes, I get it. I get it. Yes. And then come back for the next lesson. And not only do they repeat things to you that they've been working on, you never talked about, but they're not, they're actually further away from where they have to go. So, you know, I think that the more, the more you talk, the more you communicate, the more that there's like that, that, that open kind of almost calling it blind trust. Like you get to a point where it's like, you need me to do what I need to do this. Okay. I'll do it. And they'll do it to the best of their ability without, you know, leaving the session, going back to their own course and saying, ah, yeah, I want to do it this way. Cause this is what I think, you know? Um, so I think that the, you know, first you need to have enough time with them because, you know, you can give a yeah. beginner a golf lesson in 30 minutes and they can be on their way. But, you know, I just, I don't believe that, 30 minutes or an hour to a competitive player is going to do anything for them. Um, almost could be a waste of time for everybody. So I think that the, the open communication and the, the fact that, you know, you, you can spend more than just a little bit of time with them to figure out stuff about them. Um, Cause it's not just about the golf game to get them to perform. There's a whole bunch, there's a bunch of other aspects to it. Yeah. I, th- I think you're completely on the nose there. And it's funny, you know, the first college player that I had worked with a division two player and he was a good player and he was developing in a good way. But every time I, I gave him a piece of insight, it, it was kind of a, a, a yes over and over and over again. And not, not to put him on the spot or anything, but it, w- it was a good learning experience for me to say that, you know, if I was to be coaching my brother, <clears throat> which I do, uh, you know, I'm going to tell him straight up, like, you know, this is exactly what's happening in your swing, or this is what's happening on the course. You need to fix it right now. And it actually makes me think about, being on the course last night with my brother, who's, who's kind of my coach, we coach each other. And, and he just straight up said to me, he's like, 
you know, you're, you're trying to guide everything into the hole cam. You got to get a lot more aggressive. And I fought it for a little bit, but you know, that, that kind of brutal honesty, it hurt a little bit, but it was, it was a thing I need to hear because it, you know, it led me to be able to hit my driver a lot more consistent uh, for the rest of the round. So I, I think that honesty piece is, is huge because there's also, there's such a small time window uh, for, for college players to get to that next level. So if they have yes men around them or they're yesing you, then it, uh, it, you know, they'll plateau pretty quickly and they'll feel it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the people that are trying to, to look for your advice for help, they're not looking for a best pal, right? Like if they have an extra leaf ticket, they're not calling you and I'm not doing it in reverse. I'm not going to call a kid and be like, oh, I got an extra ticket. Do you want to come to the game? Like we're not, we're not buds. So like, <laughs> we, we have to get to a point where, it's like, look, this is what you're doing and this is what has to be fixed. And, you know, sometimes it might sting, it might hurt. You might have to, you know, dig deeper into it and massage it a little bit. But mm. at the end of the day, like it's gotta, it's gotta happen. And, you know, I, I heard a line a, a while ago that said that, you know, a, a, a teacher tells you what you're doing wrong, but a coach tells you what you're doing right. And I, I hear that sentence and I hear, a golf coach that doesn't want to be honest and a golf coach that might not know what's wrong to begin with, where I really mm. feel as though that, you know, if you're going to try and help someone, regardless of what it is you call yourself, you've got to kind of let them know, Hey, this is what's going on. You know, like, Hey, Canadian tour player, you're drinking every night you're on the road. That's a problem, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it has nothing to do with, they got up and down on 12 from the bunker. Like, you know, if you're finishing your round and you're going to the casino and getting hammered, we've got an issue with the next day. So sometimes we need to hear those types of things. And sometimes those things aren't golf related. So you've got to you've got to know the player well enough to understand kind of what goes on outside the golf course, because those things have just as much influence on their game as as what they're doing with their golf swing. You know, mm. like if you think of a college player, if a college player hasn't studied for a test and they're going to a tournament and the test is the day after their tournament, they're going to play like crap if they haven't studied because they yeah. know that that test is coming and they know they're going to fail. And that's the only thing on their mind, you know, or, Oh my God, like the two girls that I'm dating are roommates. They're going to find out about each other. And next thing you know, you're in another world. So I think that, you know, from a, a college player standpoint, there has to be a lot of communication to figure out like, you know, where are you at? Where are you in life at the moment? Are, do you, are you conflict free, basically? And can all that stuff get freed up so that you can play your best golf? Because, you know, the physiological side of performance is massive. It definitely is. Yeah. So, where, Nick, where was that, that kind of mentality or that attitude towards college players to learn from? Was it a certain experience or is it something that just kind of came over time for you? Uh, I, I'd be curious to know exactly, you know, where that came from. Well, I mean, like, I, like I played college golf myself, so I kind of understood the ups and downs. I saw what my other guys were going through. Um, so I kind of got some insight into, you know, how they performed or didn't perform because of mm -hmm. whatever, um, you know, and I guess just throughout the years of dealing with players, I mean, I had a lot of, I had, you know, players come to me that played college golf in their third and fourth year, but it's not the same as developing a kid from grade 10 all the way through into graduating school. So, you know, it's, I would say it's just a, it's, it's just your natural evolution of understanding what works and what doesn't. Um, 
you know, making sure that you don't think that you know everything and you're everything that you're saying is perfect and accurate. And, you know, like just experience and rolling with the punches and learning what works and what doesn't. And, you know, getting again, that honest feedback, like, um, I just think of, you know, 15 years of working with, you know, 20 plus college players, um, maybe even more. I don't even know anymore. Um, I just think it, it, it just kind of naturally slowly evolves and comes to you, Um, Mm. you know, but you have to be open to understand that like, it's, it's not about the backswing. The backswing is nothing compared when you're working with a college golfer that, probably doesn't live in your city at the moment so how do you figure things out how do you how do you understand like what's going on how do you fix how do you fix a golf swing through facetime or you know before it was like you know put a dvd together and email me a mail me a dvd so i can watch (laughs) you swing like um so i would say that all of this stuff just comes from you know general experience of continually doing it and doing it with better players. Mm, I love that. Uh, Nick, what were some of your early influences, you know, whether it be fellow competitors or coaches or even influences now, like who, who has really helped you shape your methodology when it comes to helping high performance players? You know, I, like I hear that question a lot and I, I like it and I'd love to be able to shout out a bunch of people, but it's me. I mean, I think it's myself and my evolution of, my like my thirst of what it is that I want to listen to so you know if I want to figure out what Hank Haney's doing I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and figure out what Hank Haney's doing and if I like a piece of it I'll bring it into this into the system and if I don't like it I just ignore it and I you know usually tweet about how bad it is Um, (laughs) and the same thing goes for for everybody Um, you know I was always into like I was always a ball striker before I knew what ball striking was I always hit it solid I always hit it like I, I, I always hit it well. So I wanted to understand the differences between golfers that didn't hit it well and those that did, and what was the influence. So, you know, science is a big thing. So if you go down the whole science standpoint and, you know, geometry and physics and all that stuff, it kind of leads you to only a few places. Um, so, you know, going after the, the, the big sources, you know, learning certain books that many people talked about or, going to see those that you know every time you see you meet a new golf instructor they're going to tell you a couple people that they learn from well Mm -hmm. you go meet a hundred people you're going to start hearing similar names and so you know eventually you start searching out that person or someone that's very close to that person and it kind of shapes it shapes who you are but I think that I shape myself you know I, I I'm I'm my biggest influence and I think that the more that the more I'm eager to learn, the more I'm thirsty to read, the more that I want to go and stand in the background of watching someone else teach, the better I'm going to get and the more tools I'm going to have in my toolbox. Um, you know, like I've, one of my, one of my best pals and, and biggest mentors, you know, I, I could probably stand behind him and watch him teach for about 10 minutes. And I'd be like, okay, I'm so done. I don't want to listen to this anymore. But if that person was walking inside the ropes with a tour player, I would never leave his side. So like there's everybody brings a different set of assets and tools to the table. And I think that when, you know, I've got some guys that I listen to on swing mechanics and some guys I listen to on short game or putting, um, 
or, you know, or, or playing the game and living a, a wonderful, happy, smiley, conflict, conflict free life. You know, none of those guys are the same. Um, you know, the guy that I would listen to about the golf swing all day long, I would spend sun up to sundown listening to him and watching him. But as soon as you leave the golf course, I don't want to go anywhere near him. That, that type of influence, that outside activity is not for me where, you know, there, like I said, there can be the total opposite. Um, I get more out of speaking to some of my mentors on the phone about life, about players they've worked with, about my players and their situations than I would ever want to learn watching them fix someone's grip or backswing because I probably don't agree with that stuff. Um, so I, I've always been like, I've always been on the, the wavelength that if some random person in Toronto asked me, what does this guy teach? I want to know. I want to know what that person teaches. I want to know their philosophy because if I don't know what Butch Harmon does, that guy's going to go somewhere else to ask for that information. And I'm going to lose them as a, I'm not really an expert at that stage. So, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's the countless hours talking with Ledbetter or the, the hours talking with one of the Harmons about their philosophies or, um, you know, like anybody who is anybody, I, try to get in front of them and chat with them and talk with them and call them. And I want to see, you know, I, I want to learn how they, they, they talk. I want to, you know, understand their mannerisms. I want to hear their stories about what they like and what they don't like. And then, you know, it's like reading a book. As soon as you've read one book, you get an idea about the next book that you want to read and it just snowballs from there. I think that's great. I, I mean, being willing to go down those rabbit holes and uh, you know, and just really kind of pour your passion out into it and, and not be sort of set in your ways, I think is what is the reason why, you, you know, you're, you're in the position that you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so just to, just to kind of jump on one thing that you said about, uh, cause it's, it's something where uh, as a player myself, developing myself into a ball striker is something that's been a big project of mine. Uh, and, you know, I just curious to know, and if it's too too general of a question because every player is so different and then that's totally okay but what do you feel are maybe a few of the things that make a great ball striker and maybe things that you learned as a young kid or and when you're when you're competitive that made you into that i think that the the best ball strikers manipulate their loft better than anybody it has nothing to do with the face it has nothing to do with the path i don't care if they you know, if, if they rotate hard and get Gucci or they pull their arms down, you know, and, 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 and hit the golf ball with a ton of face roll, none of that's, none of those patterns really matter to me, but you know, Bubba Watson manipulates the loft better than anybody that we've ever seen play the game. Um, and by manipulating the loft, you can manipulate your trajectory. So I would say that that's the thing that most ball strikers have, have in common that they can manipulate the loft on the club. Okay. So that, that sort of statement there, is that something that you feel like you can train or is that just something that you feel is generated through hours and hours of generating your own feels? Uh, well, most of the guys that have figured it out, figured it out on their own, but it's definitely something that gets taught. I teach it every day in my golf schools. Um, you know, understanding the, the rate of opening up the loft into the golf ball. Um, if it, if, the loft gets exposed too fast. We lose all, we lose all of our leverage, um, you know, and then that's when, that's when you need to bring out your radars and your cameras to, to make sure that just to show some someone the numbers of what, what the things are doing, what the path is doing, what the angles are doing, what the swing planes are doing. Um, 
you know, but if, if you can get someone to deal off the golf club, uh, not only early, but keep it de-lofted for as long as they can. I mean, you're ultimately going to be a pretty darn good ball striker. You're going to be able to, you know, turn the eight iron into a four iron to hit the ball hard. And you're able to turn the pitching wedge into a sand wedge to get the ball up. Um, you know, and I think that around the short game, manipulating the loft is incredibly important because uh, that totally affects your launch, your spin, your strike point. But, you know, being able to uh, uh, manipulate and, and de-loft the club appropriately in the downswing, all that's doing is is putting leverage into the golf club. And I think that when you start looking at all the different torques and forces and you start looking at all the different, you know, power accumulator angles and all the fancy stuff people talk about, as long as the golf club is de-lofted, all those things fall into place. So, um, hmm. you like know, I've, I've, I've never been to a school as a participant where, you know, the, the, the instructor hasn't talked about, you know, making sure that the club is de-lofted. Um, and I've never had, I've never gone through a golf score. At least one person out of the four, um, hasn't drastically, hasn't gone through the entire gamut of this is how you get the loft off this golf club. This is how you flight the ball better. And this is how the club goes through the ground. Um, so yeah, but like the rate, like we always hear about rate of closure or, you know, any, any of the other terms that come with that, but that's more of the steering wheel approach. That's more of getting the face coming in open and not closing down a whole bunch. But if you can, if I can term it like the rate of lofting or the rate of de-lofting, um, you know, that's the, that's the nugget right there. That's the, that affects everything. I love that. Yeah. It makes me think of Trevino, how he trapped it so nicely, especially, po you know, he just, he kept that club face so square, but he also, you know, like you said, turned, was able to turn that eight iron into a four iron when he needed to. Um, probably his biggest, that's probably the biggest thing that made him, you know, top three ball striker of all time. Yeah, I agree with that. And he, he was the type of guy who figured it out on his own and that wasn't something that was taught. I've, I've tried to work on that pattern quite a bit and it still is a bit of a mystery to me. I, I understand it, but it's hard to make my body do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, the more that the club face is closed, the more the body can start to turn around. But if the club face is too open, the body starts to stall out to square the face up. So, you yeah. know, the, the, the biomechanical effects of having too much loft on the face at any given time, you know, we've termed them everything in the book, you know, early extension, lack of rotation, you came out of your posture, oh, popped up out of it. All those things are directly related to how much loft there is on the club. Because if you start thinking about it, like you can't really have a club that's de-lofted and have the face too open, you know. So if, you know, most golfers react to the club face a lot. And as soon as that club face gets in the right amount of de-lofting in transition, you know, good things can happen. You know, I, I love what you said there about the, the closure of the face and the rotation of the body. That's something that I've been having some light bulb moments over, uh, over this last lockdown and just realizing that for my competitive days, I played with an open, more of an open club face and a stall and a stalled body and, and more of a flipping motion where getting into the feels of feeling the club face shut with wrist angles, but then rotating, uh, mm -hmm. using better footwork. So that's interesting. I like that. Uh, Question for you, just on, you hinted a bit on technology. I'd be curious to know what, what kind of tech you, that you use and, you know, what do you feel like are the benefits of it and what do you feel like are, are the traps of it? 
Well, um, you know, in the, in the winter, you know, in the indoor simulator, we want to see the ball fly. So, you know, I've got radars and, and launch monitors that I use to see the ball fly and to get some numbers. Um, in the summer, I almost never pull anything out. I, I went, I don't know, I went like 85 schools last year, early in the year without even bringing my launch monitor or anything else out of the car. Um, I, I love technology. I think it's great, but like with every piece of technology that I've ever bought or, you know, ever had a chance to consult for the company, um, the more I used it, the less I needed it. So, you know, I had all the different 3d suits. I've had all the different radars. I've had all the different, you know, anything you can imagine from a tech related standpoint, I've had it, mm -hmm. I've used it to the point that I understood what it did, what its limitations were, you know, how K vest would be different from 4d motion, how it would be different to gears. So how the, the data is displayed and the avatars displayed. Um, and I used it to the point that now I can see what the body is doing. I don't need that stuff. So, um, you know, the, if you put yourself in the position of the golfer, the golfer doesn't care if you've got $100,000 worth of systems out there. All they want to do is hit the ball better so it makes them smile. So I don't need a launch monitor. I don't need a 3D suit. I don't need a hack motion. I don't, I don't need that stuff because I know what they do. I know how they measure. And I can get the golfer to do all that stuff and change all the parameters without showing them numbers. Um, so my big belief is that, you know, when I've got a golfer in front of me, I need to talk just the right amount to shape their concept and give them the right ideals and ideas and associated feels to get the club on the golf ball better. Um, so, you know, in, in my schools, I always promise everybody in the first hour, you're going to hit it as good or better than you've ever hit it before. And none of that's with technology. It's about let's get the club face in order. Let's get, let's get you in order after that. And, you know, we see ball striking gains. We see dispersion patterns come in. We see the distance go up. Uh, we lose one curve to one direction. So the ball is only curving one way now. And, you know, like at the end of the day, there's going to be so many golfers that don't even know what a track man is, you know, yeah. like mm -hmm. if, and if they want to get a track man session, then they, they, then that's what they get. They get a track man session. You can get on your radar and your launch monitor and you can have an iPad in front of you and you can go figure out how far your shots go. Like, you know, not bad. Um, but you know, I would say that 90% of my, of my clientele aren't in a position to figure out the difference between, you know, what 161 or 166 feels like, you know, they're trying to get the ball, hit the ball more solid. They're trying to see the ball and feel the ball sizzle off the face and be better while having a predictable flight, you know, it has nothing to do with consistency. It's, it's just predictability that they know that if they pull the trigger, that the ball is going to do one of two things and it's going to end up in one of two places. And as long as they choose the good target, they're going to play great golf. Um, you know, but if, if I were to, you know, work with a player that wanted to work on wedge distances or whatever, you know, I might bring out a box to, to measure some spin and to measure some launch angles and all that stuff. But, you know, ultimately we're picking a target out on the range, whether it's 30, 40, 50, 80 yards, and we know how far it is because we have, you know, lasers and bushnells and we say, okay, that's how far we got to go. Let's, let's hit the shot. And if the ball goes too low, it goes too far. If the ball goes too high, it goes too short. You know, like you can, 
you can figure it out based on what the flight, what the rainbow of the ball gets produced. Um, so it's like, no matter how much we're moving into an age of technology, you know, guys that did all this stuff before technology still had a way to figure it out. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm impressed with the way that those guys did it. It's, it's a lot more of a people conversation when you do it that way. But if it's hitting a shot and then two people staring at an iPad talking about numbers, like there wouldn't be too long before that type of situation just drove me out of golf. Cause that would be really boring. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, we might head that way for the, not for the most part, but you know, it's, it's interesting. I think the technology is, it kind of validates what, what a lot of good coaches already know, good ball strikers already know. Right. And it just kind of gives you, that extra, you know, kind of evidence to know that, you know, okay, if your attack angles in the right spot, then that's why you're compressing it. Right. And I, that's what I found getting on track, man, this year coaching on it is that it, it you know, the, the, there's, you know, outside of, for me, I use, I like to use track man for, for path uh, attack angle and a couple other things. Right. And then, and then beyond that, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, what's actually happening in the body. I think we can get so fixated on the numbers, especially when you're sitting there with a track man or, or a quad and it's, you know, 16, 16, whatever, how many numbers there are coming at you. It can be pretty overwhelming. I mean, this, the game's already overwhelming enough, right? Like, why are we trying to complicate it even more? Right. And so the more shots you see you, that you measure on a box, the more you understand what had to have happened to make the ball go like that. Yeah. So, you know, when, you know, like if the ball's doing a certain thing, I've got a really good idea of what's going on and being able to fix it isn't all that tough. But I think, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, when all these things came out, we didn't know all of that stuff. So everybody was using their clients as a guinea pig and everybody was using, was measuring every single shot because we just really didn't know. But now we've got a wealth of knowledge of you know, what the numbers should say and what those numbers should produce that, like I said, I, I don't even bring my, I don't bring the box out to measure it, but I tell people, Hey, your path's too far into out. The face is too open. The path's too far across the ball. The face is too closed. And I get all that stuff because I see the ball fly. Mm -hmm. And after you've seen the ball fly, you can figure all that stuff out. As long as it's coming from a, you know, a base of facts where, you know, it's not 25 years ago where if the ball starts to the right, well, you must have swung out that way. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we have the information, we've got the, the base knowledge of it all. It's, it's the application and the, and the art of communication to make it all change that the golf lesson is all about. So, you know, like I said, I, I only have my, my technology on in the winter because it gives someone a chance to, see the ball fly on a screen yeah mm -hmm. and just give them some sort of realistic uh, and that's you know the problem being in canada it, it, but you know the the track man or the quad it, it'll give that client some sort of realistic look into what's actually happening right I, I i've always said that the you know at the end of the day your your divot pattern uh and your and your ball flight are your two greatest teachers right and you can learn so much from that I, I i kind of admire the types of guys like a butch Harmon where they can listen to the sound of it and know what's happening as i'm sure totally. you can uh, i remember going down to the to the oven the night the, the nike fitting facility when they had it and I, I got the chance to get fit by tiger's fitter can't remember the guy's name i'm sure the name's out there but he could just tell but you know based upon Mike. the sound 
sound yeah i think i think it was mike i can't mike remember davis i think it was him yeah and it was an incredible experience because you know he didn't even have to look at the ball flight he could just tell by the sound no this is you know the weight's too much here or whatever the shaft isn't right for you and it was a pretty illuminating experience to for you know someone to understand what's actually happening based upon the click of a click of a metal so yeah <laughs> um, oh totally yeah totally. so the, the more shots you hit and the more you get around good players and you get around people that are going through fittings it it you just start to develop an ear and you develop an eye for it so mm -hmm. you know like years ago i i said that you know i like someone asked me where's the launch monitor and i said i am a launch monitor you know and <laughs> like i like that i got i got pretty ripped apart for that like oh you you can't see the angle of attack blah 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 and i'm like yeah but i know that's a seven iron and i know that that seven iron's got about 35 degrees aloft on it and I know that that thing should be launching at about 19 or 20 degrees. And I can figure all that out by standing there and looking at it. I can tell you right away what, the, what all of those numbers might be, like pretty close to what they might be. And the more golf balls I see hit, the tighter that I can get. I mean, I remember standing at the Disney event with Troy Madison and a bunch of teachers. And Troy was hitting shots. And the goal was to call out the numbers that, for the shot. What was the path? What was the face? And, you know, we didn't get to see the numbers. We just called them all out. And it was amazing after maybe 15 or 20 shots, we were calling out like similar numbers. Path was four, face was one and a half. Yeah, 1.6, you got it. You know, like we were sitting there calling them out because we had seen so many shots and we had we understood what was going on that you could do that. Um, so, you know, it's it just comes back to that same comment that I made that the more you use technology, the less you need it. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I, I really like that, Nick. What just question for you. So uh, what do you say to the client who comes to you with the same problem every week? And, you know, what do you maybe do to change their perspective to get them out of that rut or, you know, get them out of that mentality or whatever they're, you know, the same problem every week, you see it happening over and over and over again. I'm sure you've had clients like that. And you, what do you do to shift? Well, that? I either give it one more lesson for them to understand what we're trying to do uh, and expect them to work at it and do it. Or I call them out on lack of practice. Um, or I ask mm -hmm. them, how bad did they change the message? You know, like what I hate in a golf lesson is when I say, okay, I need you to do ABC. Oh, you mean I need to take it inside and roll the face open? No, I said, I need you to do ABC. I need you to do these words. And when someone reinterprets the words in an effort to try and make sense of it, they change the message. So, mm. you know, if the important thing that I've always learned is to try and make sure that, you know, the words that you're using are the most precise and the most accurate and obviously the, the most limited. You don't want to give them a whole bunch of babble. But, you know, if yeah, if. If I'm asking someone, hey, I need you to bend your right wrist on the backswing, and they say, oh, you want me to close the face? No, I want you to bend your right <laughs> wrist on the backswing, right? And if they take my message and change it and go away for a week and work on it, then I don't expect it to be the same. So, I mean, if, if it happens over and over and over again, I just fire myself. I'm like, look, this isn't working. I'm not sure what's, what's not working. You know, I've, we've done everything that we can. Like I've got you on video doing all the right stuff. But when you come back the next week, you've got all these new words that we never talked about before and everything's all different. Like, where is this going wrong? 
And if there's always a mm-hmm. reason like, oh, well, because this and I wanted to do that way and I watched Golf Digest and this said this, then at, at some point I'm like, look, we're not prog- we're not making any progress here. It's either like stick to the lesson plan or, you know, maybe you just don't need lessons because it sounds like you've got it all figured out on your own. Um, so like for the first little while, I'll take the bullet of, hey, this must have been the words I said. It must have been the way that I communicated it. But if it continues to continues to happen, I have to look for the clues of, no, 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 you just changed it. That's not what I asked you to do. You changed it. And if you're going to change it and go do something else, it's not going to happen. So, you know, it doesn't take too long to figure all that stuff out, to see what's going on with a person to do that. Um, but, you know, for the past three years, I, I don't offer individual lessons where they come back you know, once a week for X number of weeks, because that doesn't work. Um, for all the reasons that I just said, whether they didn't get a chance to practice, or they interpret it the wrong way, or they decided to do something else, like you give someone a putting lesson, and they come back and want to show you their six sign. Like, that's, you know, if, if, if we're working on one thing, we've got to make sure we work on this one thing. But if they're looking for actual progression, it needs to be more than an hour, there needs to be, you know, a super um, an amount of supervised practice so that when they think they're doing it on their own, I've got them in my corner of my eyes saying, OK, he's doing it right or no, that's not right. And I go over and fix it. So that's the whole point of of evolving to these golf schools is that I get to I get to, you know, get right in front of the person to make the fix that they need right away. And as I work with the other players, I can make sure that they're doing it right. And if they're not mm-hmm. doing it right, I go back and confirm it and fix it. And then we move on to the next thing. So I don't give them a chance to go off on their own track. I don't give them a chance to not practice. I, I, I put it all together in one session, um, you know, and then if you know, most of the golfers come back every couple of weeks for another school and it might be similar stuff, but it, most of the time it's a bit of an evolution. Um, but it, it, when it comes to the golfer not getting it, like I said, I take the bullet twice. But the third time that they don't make a change or get it, I give them the bullet. Mm. Yeah. I and there has to be, we're not buds, right? Like they're not my friend. It's, <laughs> this is, this is a business thing. This is like, you're asking me for my advice. You might not even like me, but you like what I have to say. And I'm going to give that right back to you and make sure that if this, if you're paying me to, to give you my best advice, this is my best advice. But if you're paying me and you're taking my advice and just like doing a little bit of it, you know, either we're both okay with doing a little bit of it or this isn't going to work. Um, yeah. And I, like, I've gone so far past the point of trying to help everybody and trying to make sure that everybody that emails me gets a spot in a school or that everybody that works with me, you know, gets really, really good. You know, I've, I've gone past that point because, you know, there's, there's the right kind of golfer that works best with me and since I'm the only consistent thing, I have to make sure that I work with people that are on the same, same wavelength as me where, so, so I have no problem with, you know, talking to a client and saying, you know, maybe this just isn't, isn't the right approach. And I have no problem with saying like, let's go different ways, go talk to this coach, or maybe, and maybe we just stop working on your full swing. Let's go do some short game for a month. You know, like I have no problem bringing that to the table because, um, there's lots of golfers in Toronto and I don't need all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that honesty approach coming out. I like it. Uh, and I like the point about too, about 
you know, it's, it's a business it's not a hang. Right. And I think that, uh, because golf is such a fun thing to do and it's, it's people's, you know, for a lot of people, it can be a, a leisure thing at the end of the day, you're there to help people get better at golf. You're not there to hang out and, and make friends, right. You, you've got your friends, you've got your family, I I'd right. imagine. And it's, you're, you're there for a purpose. Right. And I, I do get that, uh, with, with students coming into my Academy at times where they're there to just hang out because I'm a golf pro and I, you know, I, I have an image and I, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm a good player. Right. And, and they want to maybe, you know, just sort of have that a little bit. So, mm-hmm. but for me, like, I don't get any satisfaction out of that. Like I'm more of a, a loner myself as are probably most golf coaches. And, you know, because we're so single-minded in our approach, if, if you've been a player before. So I think it's, it, it's an important thing for a student coming to, you know, coming to a coach is you, you have that coach for an hour. And if, if they're, if they're doing well, they have, 30 to 40 hours of coaching a week so that hour it needs to be you know things need to move or else it's yeah like I, mean, I, do this be- I do it because i like to do it so the mm. best thing that you can do as a as a beginning in this in this career of coaching is the second that you've got an issue with a client you got to let them go you've got to you've got to cut the fat the second that it starts to bother you in any aspect at all because that's going to be absolutely draining on you you, you do this because you love it. You organize your days because that's the way that you think is going to give people the best chance of getting better. And if people don't blend into the system, then there's then don't have them and be comfortable not having them. I mean, you know, even if you were at a private country club where, you know, it's really difficult to say no to people like that would be one of the only situations where you might have to bite the bullet, you know, and give grandma a 30 minute lesson on her seven iron. Like you might just <laughs> yeah. have to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. If she finds a time to get in your calendar, you can't really say no, but I, I'm not in that situation. I run my own thing. I do everything the way that I want to do it. And I do it because it's a lot of fun. So, you know, if it's a junior golfer whose parent might be a bit of a headache or, you know, there's, it's a, it's a golfer that's just a little bit too dramatic about things or the golfer that comes to you that thinks that you're a doctor. Like, like if you've got an issue (laughs) with like getting angry on the golf course, you go to anger management because you're probably going to have angry situations with your wife, with your friends at your normal job, right? Like you don't pay a golf coach a hundred dollars to fix your brain. Like, you know, if there's something like psychologically wrong, it's going to show up in your whole life. Like, you know, if Mm -hmm. if we were a doctor, we'd have to see everybody because it's our job to help everybody. We can, we can't be picky and choosy, but a golf teacher is not like that. I have this many people I can see in a week and I want to have the best people that I can in there. And if it's 45 people in a week and one person is draining, then you cut it out. You straight cut it out. And you'll start to find that the more intense that player takes golf, the better chance they have of being, you know, draining and, and just, uh, um, you'll bring home negative energy. Mm-hmm. And, and typically not- those, I think those types of students, uh, put too much reliance on their coach to improve. Right. So it be, there becomes, there comes this tension and all that energy that is, is that client is taking from you. It, it, you're robbing your your whole other roster of, of students so i think that's a, a really good point and i think yeah. it's a it's a good point for you know all the all the players out there listening to this to you know 
like really be patient with your golf coach and, and, and take the message and, and hammer out that message that they're giving you and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. It, it, that's a big thing because most of the time, you know, we're trying to be precise with our words so we can really communicate well. And I don't know a golf coach that doesn't want the best for their player. Um, you know, we all, we all care about the person that's in front of us. We all want them to get better because we wouldn't be doing this job if we didn't care about, you know, them as a person and then them as a golfer. Um, but when all the other stuff starts to get into the mix of, you know, you get a phone call where they're on the seventh hole. Hey, that thing you taught me is not working and I'm keep losing golf balls. It's like, well, (laughs) this isn't really the time to call me about this, but like, you're the golfer and you like, I mean, one of the biggest things that I've learned how to do is put all of the blame back on the player. Well, not all the blame, most of the blame, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, uh, like there's so many things that can go on between, you know, you teach someone on Friday night and it ends at five, but then by Saturday morning at their nine o'clock tea time, there's lots that can go on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you could get a lecture by your parent on the way to the golf course. And so you get to the golf course, you're like, man, my dad just like yelled at me for the whole ride here. I better play good, you know, which is a totally different scenario of cracking jokes the night before striping it with your coach. So there's lots of different things that can go on. And, you know, our jobs as coaches is to make sure that they've got all, well, there's our job as a teacher first is to make sure that they know how to move the club appropriately And then your job as a coach is to make sure that you're a cheerleader all the way until you can be until they tee off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being able to control everything is impossible. So that just goes back to making sure that, you know, you've got, you've got players that aren't going to self-sabotage or sabotage your hard work because of who knows what. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's something, uh, that my coach Ralph Bauer growing up to me always told me I didn't quite understand him until I became a coach myself and he'd always say to me at the end of the day like I don't hit the shots right and and what I think what he meant by that is that you know every student has to be responsible for their own game right and mm-hmm. and it's 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 only a coach's job to give you a few things to steer you into the right direction and and at the end of the day it's you know it's an individual sport it's not a team sport right that's exactly it. The player has to be accountable, responsible for themselves and self-sufficient. And if those things aren't being taught and, you know, the golfer needs to have their hand held every step of the way, like at some point you're going to run into trouble. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ralph is, is one of the best at that because he doesn't beat around the bush. He's blunt with everything and he's on to the next thing two seconds later. And yeah. I love that about Ralph. Like he'll tell you how it is and then he'll move on with his arm around you. So like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's exactly the way that the great coaches are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, it's just that no BS approach. Right. So I yep. guess, you know, we, we've outlined a, a lot of things that, that, you know, you feel are, uh, you know, allows your students to make progress. So I guess maybe in the coaching market and then in particular, the Ontario coaching market, what do you feel like some of the things are that, that kind of piss you off or that are wrong with, with uh, instruction? Um. Even Man, even of what you see off social media or or anything where that's getting a lot of attention right now, whatever it is. Well, I don't know. I probably would have had a really long list a few years ago when I was really paying attention to stuff. But you know, <laughs> I've I've 
I'm really satisfied with what it is that I'm doing. I'm satisfied with the way that I'm attracting and maintaining clients. Um, I'm satisfied with the, the, the big list of clients that I have and all the work that I do to add value to, you know, my, my network um, that I just don't have time for all the other stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really big into the online teaching world. So I don't have 30 online lessons a day. Um, I'm really not big into, you know, miming out some golf moves and putting like Migos behind it and blasting that on the internet. Like having, having, having the music being a little bit more upfront than the golf swing stuff. Like that's not really my thing. Um, so I like, I don't think that there's anything really that, that, frustrates me in golf anymore because there's so many things there's so much out there I mean one of my mentors just told me last week that he's retiring from teaching golf because he doesn't like the direction that golf instruction is going and he's like I don't like this Instagram thing I don't like TikTok um, I don't like all these things and that seems to be where all these kids want to get their information from so mm-hmm. it's just not for me um, you know so I I take the little bit of stuff that, that I do like to do, you know, I still like to post some things and I like to talk a little bit about stuff here and there, but I mean, um, I don't think that anything really frustrates me because everybody does it their own way and they seem to be successful with it. Um, when it comes to, you know, coaching in Ontario, we've got, you know, I've got 6 million people within an hour from me. I, I don't need to coach everybody. I'm not trying to coach everybody. If someone doesn't want to drive to where it is I'm teaching, then, you know, I'll refer them to someone that's closer to their house. And I don't like at that point, like, I don't care. You're not mm-hmm. my client. So I don't care if you get good or better. You're, you live close to this spot. We'll go see this guy. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think the, the, the whole approach of you've got to help everybody to the best of your ability, like that whole mentality for me has really disappeared um where i'm not trying to help everybody like i don't want to go walk into an academy and cherry pick the best players because oh they should work with me because i'm the best like i don't care there's so many players out there if i'm good at what i do i'll develop the players that i've got into what they can be um so you know um i I, i've chosen to go down certain roads of you know not traveling on tour i don't want to be a tour coach uh, I don't want to be on the road 40 weeks a year. I don't, I enjoy developing players going from 90 to 75. Um, and I probably enjoy that just as much as, you know, working with a tour player who might win a tournament. Um, so I don't want to travel on tour. I don't want to be in front of my computer, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day, man, looking at golf swings and doing voiceovers and sending things back to people. So that's not really my thing. Um, So like, I think there's so many different ways that you can be a golf coach and learn and share nowadays that you got to kind of funnel yourself into what you enjoy doing um, and what, what you've kind of been good at and just stick with it. Uh, So, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm the only person in Canada that's pretty much exclusive to golf schools. Uh, I get to see, you know, 400 plus unique people in a year, Um, you know, 400 unique golfers in a year might be the most in Canada. 
Um, you know, I, I work five days a week. I don't work 70 hour weeks. I don't back my day up 12 lessons in a row. I've, uh, I've got a great, um, great time management balance with work. So I'm, I'm really good with everything that I've got going on and are there places to, to improve for sure. But I, I don't think that there's anything about golf nowadays that, that frustrate me. I just think that there's stuff that just doesn't interest me. Yeah, no, I like that. And I, I like your point about the online stuff and it was something that I had explored for a little bit, but it, it made me realize that what I really love about golf and what I love about golf coaching is that human connection. Right. And it's almost mm -hmm. like golf comes second. Right. And I think when you have that human connection and then you can see the ball flight and, and you know, everything else that goes with it, you can make such more drastic improvements and, you know, you might get, you might get access to a certain coach in a certain part of the world, um, you know, that you maybe didn't get access to, but it's, it's only, it's about 70% effective then not, it might not even be that much. It's just a number. But I think if you really want to make improvements, you go see someone that, you know, is local to you and, and is, and knows what they're talking about and the proof mm -hmm. is with their students. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I like that. Just to kind of close out, Nick, um, what are, um, I guess, what are some of your, you know, and you, you kind of hinted at a few guys, but just for people to go off and do their own research, what are a few of, and even good friends you have are some of the resources that you really like to, uh, are, are chewing on these days? Um, and if it's wow. nothing, then that's okay. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess it's a little bit different because, you know, we, we keep going through lockdowns around here where, you know, I'm not traveling to go in and shadow people. I'm not traveling to go to golf schools as a participant. Um, you know, I think that the stuff that's going to make me a better instructor is the stuff that's going to you know, make me a better person. So it's a lot, it's all about what do I want to do to feel like I'm more satisfied with things. So, you know, whether it's, you know, learning a new language or learning a new skill or, you know, maybe trying a different type of workout. Um, those are the types of things that kind of keep me going. But when it comes to like the golf instruction, how to be a better golf teacher, I think that I've got a whole bunch of tools in my toolbox to help 99% of my players. And I'm comfortable enough that if I get a player that's a, that might be out of my league that I don't think I can help, I can bring someone else into the fold, you mm -hmm. know, and, and get their opinion and either pass the player on or, you know, work with that player on someone else's idea for a while. Um, but I would say that, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a stage right now where, most of the golf instructors who are older than me, I've had a chance to spend some time with. So, you know, it'd be about maintaining and, and, and building on those relationships just to get their wisdom from, you know, still being in the game. Um, but I, I can't really put my finger on something that like, you know, like I've gone down the rabbit hole of TPI and I really like all the TPI stuff. Like I, I can't put my finger on something like that. It's, I'm really enjoying talking about golf swings with guys that I've talked with for years, um, getting different opinions on things. And um, yeah, like whether it's the biomechanics or whether it's the forces and torques or whether it's, you know, how the player uses the ground, you know, I, 
I've been through the seminars and I continue to talk to the people that I took the seminars with. And it's just, uh, you know, it's minor evolution at the moment, but I don't think I have anything that's, uh, that stands out as, you know, this is my area of research for golf. I'm just trying to make my product a little bit better with the tools I currently have. I like that. Yeah. So and like you said before, it's you, right? That's the, that's the real resource. <laughs> right. Like I'm not looking yeah. to open a Nick Starchuk Academy and have, you know, someone run it. Um, I'm, I enjoy doing what I do. Uh, you know, I am what's for sale. People come to see me and come to my schools for me. So, you know, as long as I can stay energized and focused and and recharged enough to give you know a hundred percent to all of my schools that's all I can really do um and if I can gather enough you know great video and great content and you know some cool things on camera I can add that to my library of stuff and just keep pushing forward from there um but uh yeah I think that I think I've been this way for a few years now where, you know, all of the stuff that I'm trying to do to, to improve my product, improve my service, all has to do with just improving me as a person, not me as a golf coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have all the the raw resources and now it's just about, you know, kind of showing up better in the moment for the people that are paying for your time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Giving them the right amount of feedback you know, and touching base afterwards when, when things are, you know, after a while to make sure that you continue the, the contact points. And, you know, um, it's, uh, it's just trying to, trying to keep the people that I've worked with, keep them close. Mm, I like that. Nick, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on and I'll, I'll mention uh, in the show notes where people can find you and, and sign up for your golf schools. I think, awesome. we, I, I, you know, I myself got a lot out of this and I know my listeners will. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for sharing your time, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. This is really cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll definitely do it again. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, we can just stop recording there. Perfect. Cool. I really appreciate it, Nick. Thank you so much. You got it. Great. Thanks. Have a great night. Yeah. You as well. Okay. We'll talk soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. So that's it for today's show guys. Thank you so much for listening. So if you'd like to learn more about Nick, please check out nickstarchuk.com. He also has a lot of great educational content on Instagram. I use it, uh, my own personal resource, just to you know learn some of the things that he talks about and Nick Starchuk on Instagram. And then if you're looking to work with Nick on a personal basis, he hosts golf schools in at TPC Toronto, about 400 golfers every year. So he really works with a lot of different people. So please check him out again at nickstarchuk.com. Best of luck, guys, and happy golfing.